Good morning. It's good to be with you and happy Father's Day. I'll be reading from Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14. It's the valley of the dry bones. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones and he led me around among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live and i answered O lord god you know then he said to me prophecy over these bones and say to them O dry bones hear the word of the lord thus says the lord god to these bones behold I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I'll, I'll lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And, shall, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I'll put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for gathering us here today. Lord, prepare us our hearts to hear what Aaron has to say and may God be with him as he brings us the message in your son's name amen amen you can have a seat thank you Phil well good morning happy Father's Day have so happy first day of fall <laughs> Uh, well, each of our four children, they have all very different personalities. They look like us. They have the same last name. They all live in the same home with us. Some love sports. Some don't. Some like to be inside. Some like to go adventure into the woods that Vermont provides. Some like different foods, and some think that some foods are atrocious. But we are all sellers. And so Kristen and I, we need wisdom in parenting them. Sometimes instruction is missed. Sometimes it sinks in. Sometimes we make an appeal and sometimes we have to encourage. Sometimes it takes correction and sometimes 
They recoil from correction. We have to observe, we have to hear, we have to respond to each of our children in very different ways and very different times. And sometimes what works one day doesn't always work the next or the next hour. So this morning, Jesus has five different conversations. He interacts with five different people or groups of people. Each one is unique. People talk to Jesus and he responds to them and then they respond in turn to him. And so as we jump into our text this morning, I want to remind us of the purpose of John's gospel found in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and we will pray. John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Father, we again thank you for such a good Father that you are to us so that you before the foundations of the world would send forth your son, your only son, to die in our place on the cross for our sins so that we could be called your sons and your daughters, your children, and that you might be a good father to us. And so we thank you for that. We help you, or we, we ask you that you would help us this morning to believe more and more that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through our passage this morning, we're going to see a lot of connections to that purpose of John's gospel. And so Jesus' first encounter this morning is with some messengers with some bad news. They don't bring good news. We'll see in verse 1. Would you read with me? John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll see that next week. Whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent him to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And so these close friends, they send a messenger or group of messengers to Jesus because Lazarus was sick, their brother. And Jesus knows this family. He loves this family. He has an intimate relationship with this family. He has interacted with this family before. They aren't strangers, but they send a messenger. They aren't strangers, but they send somebody else in their place to go to Jesus. It's like sending an email to somebody when you have an urgent message to say, hey, come, when you could easily go to this person who you love dearly, who you've spent a lot of time with, to come. You may be familiar with Mary and Martha from the interaction with maybe Mary or at Jesus' feet where she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Or Martha complaining at another instance in the Gospel of Luke that Martha is serving and Mary is at Jesus' feet. Or you might be remembering the time when we were in, uh, celebrating Easter where Mary was one of the women who was at the tomb of Jesus. This is an important family. But the first encounter we see in this gospel is with some messengers. 
And Jesus' response to the news of the messengers is that this whole circumstance related to the person of Lazarus who is getting sick is that God's glory might be revealed. And so even in hard and challenging times, the glory of God is the purpose even in Lazarus's sickness. The messengers, they come with a need on behalf of this man, Lazarus. And Jesus says that this man, Lazarus, is sick because God's glory will be displayed. And what do the messengers do? They remain silent. And I think it's telling. Maybe they don't believe or maybe they just don't care because it's not as personal to them. And so what do we learn from this? I think we don't normally praise God in suffering, do we? But God's glory in his revelation and self-disclosure to us is the purpose of all things, even in our suffering. And so what is our response to that? Well, when we go to Jesus with a need, or when Jesus speaks hard truths to us in the scriptures, how do we respond? If God remains silent, do you go away silent? Maybe you go away discouraged because you feel like maybe he doesn't care because he doesn't answer. But in our limited understanding and our inability to understand everything, it's reasonable to feel that maybe there's some discouragement, that maybe we can walk away in silence. But remember, it's for God's glory. God, help me get this job. Help me pay my bills. Help me heal this sickness. Restore this relationship. Ease the anxiety that I feel about the world and everything that's going on around us. And as he asks, or as we ask, and he either answers or he remains silent, it's for God's glory. And so, praise God. But what about when he doesn't? What if you don't get the job or you actually lose your job? What if you aren't healed or in the circumstances of Lazarus, he dies? What's our response at that point? Well, Jesus says this in John 14, verse 13 and 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so as we are constantly reminded that God does not go against his word, he keeps his word, it's, he goes with his name and his character. We don't know all of God's reasons for everything that happens, good, bad, or indifferent, but maybe God doesn't give you the job or because he did, that job that you want might take you away from the family that God calls you to that is a higher priority in your life. Or maybe God doesn't heal you in the sickness so that you might be able to interact with the nurses and the doctors that you see in the hospital or maybe somebody else in the hospital bed with, next to you. I don't know. Maybe God takes away your job because he wants you to interact with people at a different job and share the gospel with them. God's glory is more important than our pleasures. I don't, don't, I don't know every circumstance, but consider maybe God doesn't give you what you want for a greater purpose, the greatest purpose, his glory. So these messengers, they came to Jesus with information about Lazarus being sick, and it's all about Jesus and God's glory. And the messengers, they go away. And so what do they do next? The disciples then come with fear. And they help us, I think, to know what we should do next when we have fears as well. Look at me at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not on him, in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that the, he meant taking, or sorry, they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When we generally interpret a delay in circumstances, a delay in response, we oftentimes think of this as being cruel. Jesus waited two days because he loved this family. Most of you know that Kristen's mom has cancer. It has come back. And if the doctors at some point give them uh, a timeline for Kristen's mom's health and we just said, well, you let us know when that date is and we'll come a few days later, you'd probably be correcting us and saying, get on a plane and go. Two days wait puts Jesus at the center of the story, not Lazarus. The delay doesn't cause Lazarus to die because Lazarus, by the time the messengers got there, was probably already dead. But the delay makes certain that no one would misconstrue that Lazarus' situation would lead to Lazarus needing an eventual resurrection more than a resuscitation or bringing back to life. Jesus goes, but it's back to the people who would seek to kill him. And when God's glory is the motivation and God's sovereignty is the foundation, we as disciples, like these men, they go. From our perspective, probably think that Jesus is crazy. That's what the disciples were thinking. Why would you go back to Judea? The disciples know that going back to Judea would ultimately lead in Jesus' death, his hour that's coming, but also it could lead to their death as well. And then we get more light and darkness language. And Jesus is the light of the world we've seen already a few weeks ago. And to walk in the day means to walk in the light of Jesus because Jesus lives and gives light. And the light is fellowship with Jesus. It is following the shepherd's voice. It is believing in him. And alternatively, to walk in darkness is to walk in unbelief. It's to walk in disobedience. Where you walk at night, you step on Legos and those do not feel good. Or you stub your toe, the little pinky toe, right at the corner of the bed. I think this is the most painful thing in the entire world. If you know, you know. To walk with Jesus in the light means we keep company with Jesus. We advance towards danger and maybe even towards death because God's glory gives us confidence, which we saw in that last section. And I think Isaiah 9 helps us to shed some light of what God is doing in sending of his son. Uh, a famous Christmas Advent verse. 
verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 2 and 3 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. So walking with Jesus brings great joy for God's people. But in verse 11, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And in verse 12, the disciples just want to get the guy an alarm clock. Lazarus doesn't need to be awakened. He needs to be resurrected because he is dead. Like Nicodemus misunderstood the metaphor of birth and the Samaritan woman at the well misunderstood the symbol of the water, the disciples here are misunderstanding the symbolism of sleeping. In verse 15, Jesus says this is for the disciples to believe. Well, God will be glorified when we believe. And as Isaiah said, it is great joy for us. Jesus wants to strengthen their faith in the face of strong opposition and the persecution that could come by the Jews. And Thomas speaks up in verse 16. He responds and he calls the disciples to go. The disciple who, as you may recall from Easter, is the one who doubted, says, let's go. He's willing to die with Jesus. He trusts in Jesus. The guy who doubts after the resurrection is the one who calls the disciples to go. And this should give us confidence in this gospel as a little side note that John is not ashamed of putting in good stories about people, but also shameful stories about people because they're real people who deal with the same real struggles that we do. And so he includes it to help bolster our own faith, even if they're embarrassing stories of these folks. And so Thomas, we see in the passage this morning, he's got a blind devotion. He's willing to go with Jesus on this journey of suffering. And God's glory, it produces confidence in this man, Thomas. And so as your elders, we call you to things, as we cast some vision of the things that we are sensing God would have us as a church, it should give us confidence to go because of what God has done, to give glory to him. And true joy is the only, there is only in Jesus. That God, glorif in that, God, sorry, that glorifies God most when people believe in him. Where God gets glory when people come to know him. God gets glory when people submit to and follow him through the scriptures. God gets glory when we share the gospel with our neighbors, our family, or our friends. God gets glory when disciples believe. God will be gloried, glorified when it's Jesus' hour. When he dies in our place. And following Jesus is hard. Sharing the gospel might mean that we got persecuted. Following Jesus might not mean just joy and ease all the time, but it will be joy in the midst of suffering. So will you follow? We get to help each other in this. We get to meet each other's need. We get to share our stuff. We get to come alongside and encourage one another. If we follow Jesus, we will probably be persecuted. We will be ridiculed. We'll probably be ignored. We'll be disregarded. We should be wise in how we engage, but we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes. But God's glory is what gives us confidence to follow, to move forward, to go. And Thomas says, I think a key word, he says to the disciples, let's go. He's leading them all. 
I'm not, he's not saying, you go. He's not saying, I'll go. He's saying, let's go. Join me in going to Judea. He is being the voice of this good shepherd. And the sheep hear the voice, and the sheep follow the voice. And the disciples have confidence together, and so they go. Where God's glory is the motivation, and we follow Jesus with confidence. And when doubts happen, as they will, I think Martha, Lazarus's sister, helps us to see how we would respond next as Jesus engages with her. So look with me at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so Lazarus was dead for four days at this point. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're clearly important people. A great crowd gathers with them to mourn with them. Many come to mourn, but there is no hope for the mourners of Lazarus that, will, that he will make it out of the grave because he's already been there for four days. And Martha hears that Jesus is near, and so she goes to him. And Martha's display, or faith is displayed for us as she speaks to Jesus. That She knows, she calls him Lord, showing that he has power, that he can do things, that he is ruler. She knows that Jesus could have prevented her brother Lazarus from dying or healing his sickness. But Martha also acknowledges that there must be a greater purpose. Look at verse 22 again. Even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus, he never makes mistakes. He asks his father perfectly, and Martha is not here complaining that he arrived too late. Martha is declaring her faith in Jesus and what he could do for her. When bad things happen, you often see people get discouraged. You often see people drift away. You see people walk away from Jesus, where doubt creeps in. The enemy, it lever he leverages it. And the prosperity gospel has been around for a long time, from the beginning. The serpent to Eve in Genesis says that God wants you to be happy because God isn't God if he doesn't allow you to be happy, to get the things that you want. Where God does allow bad things to happen to his saints. He doesn't guarantee health and wealth towards his faithful ones. Just ask Lazarus. But Lazarus' death doesn't destroy Martha's faith in Jesus. It reaffirms it. Jesus says, your brother will rise. And she knows that he will rise in the resurrection. And Martha's talking about the last day where all will rise and stand before the judgment seat of God. But Jesus says Lazarus will rise in light of who he is. This is a different kind of resurrection. I'll read again verses 25 and 26. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so we trust in the glory of God. We have confidence to go because of that and be assured of who Jesus is. The I am is here and we've seen his name come up multiple times. It's the covenant keeping God of the Bible, Yahweh, that we see first in the book of Exodus, who provides this life and this resurrection, an abundant life, a life that lasts forever. Not just now in a resurrection to the judgment, but forever an abundant life. Whoever lives and believes in Jesus, friends, will never die. And Jesus moves from abstract belief of information to a personal, intimate belief and understanding and trust in Jesus. Where there is no resurrection, there is no eternal life outside of Jesus. And Jesus makes that clear. It's by believing the consequences of our sin is death. But Jesus, he substitutes himself. He dies in our place on the cross for our sins. The perfect God-man, the perfect substitute for us but he will not remain in the grave and we know this as we celebrate Easter and we gather every Sunday that he will rise from the dead and for those who believe in Jesus work they don't die we live forever and Jesus asks Martha a very important question do you believe Martha, Martha actually responds with the same words that we see in the gospel of John in chapter 20 I read it for you this morning the purpose of John's gospel. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And this story serves as a significant warning to the church, to us today, as Martha started with a lot of words. She started with a lot of biblical understanding. We may be, we may be able to communicate correct theology, but we may fail at times to believe them like Martha did. Statements about Jesus are not enough. Hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, the words of God, the Gospel. Believe the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and follow the Shepherd. Where God's glory, it drives us. We trust in it and we go where we believe the Gospel like Martha did, even in our doubts. And next we get Mary, the other sister. Verse 28. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, "How See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. 
So Jesus, he wants to start engaging with Mary. He calls her to come and join her, and she goes and she goes quickly. She has some guests who come alongside her, some of the Jews who would come to mourn with their family, but also the same Jews that probably wanted to kill Jesus a couple weeks ago who the disciples were scared of just a few verses ago. And Mary knows, again, just like her sister, that Jesus is sovereign. He could have done something. And she's not aware of Jesus' words to Martha, though, that Lazarus will rise through belief in him. But Jesus' posture changes a bit in verse 33. It says in most of our translations that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And I just want to be clear that this is not Jesus coming to her and saying, well, I'm sorry for your loss. You might have a footnote in your Bible. If you look towards the bottom, it says that Jesus was indignant. Sometimes, sometimes kids need a stern warning or correction. And Jesus saves this stern warning in his response for the most important correction. So why was he angry? Most importantly, he's angry because of the unbelief. He was angry because of Mary's unbelief. She doesn't believe like Martha. The one who had faith to sit at his feet, which we'll see in a couple weeks, and listen to him as we see in the Gospel of Luke, who would wash Jesus' feet with her tears, who would be at the tomb when he died. She didn't believe here. He cares most about this, and this is why he is angry about it. He's angry because he knows that the wrath of God comes upon sin and unbelief. He's angry because he knows what will happen to those who do not believe. The ones whom he loves when they don't believe and it's eternal death. And Jesus' response was action. He sees their unbelief and he asks, where is your brother? And he goes. He doesn't cast them away. He doesn't leave them. I'll go find people who will believe in me. He has patience and kindness. Where is your brother? He will cure their unbelief. And when he arrives at the tomb, he weeps again. Maybe he was sad for the loss of his friend or maybe he was continually angry and sad because of the unbelief around him. Not just the unbelief of Mary, but also the unbelief of the Jews who had followed. The grief of those around him made him angry because it reveals their unbelief too. And Jesus was angry, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, because they have no hope. No hope because they have no faith. And our need... Our needs display the glory of God. It gives us confidence to go, and we are given faith by God's sovereign hand, but doubts are real. We can be okay with admitting that. But some unbelief is a result of doubt, like the Jews. He healed the blind man, the Jews said. Would it have been nice if he would have kept Lazarus alive or rose him from the dead? Unbelief is as a result of rejecting God. Matthew, in, verse, in chapter 23, he records Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. It all happens around the same time that he is weeping at the tomb of this family. As Jesus continues his journey towards Jerusalem, he sees Jerusalem and he says this in Matthew 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. 
For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For God's glory, friends, it drives us. It gives us confidence to follow Jesus and to go. It leads to belief in Jesus for us and for others. And when doubts arises, God doesn't leave us there. He has grace. He has patience for us. But rejection in the end is not pleasant, and Jesus knows that. All will declare that Jesus is Lord. My favorite Father's Day reminder, I prayed it earlier, is when the Father says of Jesus in Matthew 3, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. For those who believe, that's how he feels about you. You are his beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. But for those of you who don't, he has anger and he has wrath and he weeps because he would rather you not perish in your sin. And so please consider that. And so as we finish up our time, as we'll pick it back up in verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone had laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. But Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the count of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he said these things, or when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus was still angry as he arrives at the tomb. He says, take away the stone. And he starts to correct things. And didn't I tell you, or they started to correct him. He's been dead for a while. It's going to smell. But didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? True belief causes our hearts to respond appropriately. Where Jesus thanks the Father, and then no one else speaks moving forward. There's no doubt with him. There is no lack of confidence with him. There is only a desire for God's glory to be displayed in the life and words of Jesus. And so he cries out, Lazarus, come out. Eventually the Jews will cry out, crucify him because of what he's done here. Jesus giving life to Lazarus will eventually lead in the Jews taking the life of the Savior of the world. This seventh, this climactic sign of this gospel, this final sign that Jesus performs demonstrates Jesus' power over death. But it also foreshadows his own resurrection to come. Remember, he did many other signs, but these are written so that you might believe. Jesus' sheer word causes Lazarus to rise. It's the same word that created light when God said, let there be light. It's the same word that said that water was created when God said, let there be water. When God calls a man to himself or a woman, they come, they rise, and they receive eternal life. And this last section, unlike the previous four, doesn't have anyone coming to Jesus with questions or comments. Jesus goes. 
to Lazarus. He speaks still, but John doesn't record anything that Lazarus says after this moment. He recorded the messenger's silence at the beginning, the disciples' confidence, Mary's belief, and Mar- sorry, Martha's belief and Mary's doubts. But the focus here is on who? It's on Jesus. The messengers were silent because I don't think they really cared. Lazarus is silent because he is not, he's got nothing to bring to the table. Lazarus, the sheep, has heard the voice of the good shepherd and he has come out of the grave when the good shepherd said to come. Might not have thought about this before, but Lazarus, he's not around today. He died again. I think the only person that has ever died twice. Likewise, you and I have to believe the gospel and so does Lazarus. Our sins lead to death. But only through the substitutionary death of Jesus, his subsequent resurrection from the dead, can we have life, an eternal life, and an abundant life that can never, ever be taken away from us. Lazarus got healing from the result of his sickness, but his greatest sickness is the sickness that leads to eternal death. And belief in the substitutionary work of Jesus is the only cure. And so respond, friends, to the call for a resurrected life yourself. Will we respond like the messengers? Where all of life is for God's glory and if we don't understand, will we remain silent or will we go away? Will we respond like the disciples walking with Jesus with brash confidence to go, that we can do this? Will we respond like Martha with faith-seeking understanding in the midst of her doubts? Or will we respond like Mary and just remain in our uncertainty? The beautiful part of this is Jesus doesn't leave her there and so she transforms as well. But let Mary encourage you. When we doubt, when we fail, when we sin, we need to be reminded of our belief. We need to reaffirm our belief in Jesus as our Savior. Jesus doesn't leave us. When you believe, it's not a one-time occurrence of belief. It's an hourly. It's a daily. It's a monthly. It's a weekly. It's a constant reminder of our need for a Savior. Where all of life is that of repentance. And we will sin again. And I'm sure Lazarus sinned again after this resurrection from the dead until he died. Jesus died for those sins as well. And imagine that struggle being Lazarus. When he looks, if they had mirrors back then in the mirror, like many of us probably do, like, I did it again, and I've already been resurrected once. I was dead, and I still struggle. Sounds like a bit like myself, probably like yourself as well. Will we respond like Lazarus, who heard the shepherd's voice, who followed and believed and received the resurrected life that ultimately matters? At the end of our lives, we can rest assured that Jesus is the resurrection and the life when we believe. Those whom the Father draws near, he will never cast out. Those whom the Father calls, he will never allow them to be snatched out of his hands. He holds us fast until the end because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We aren't kind of given eternal life. It's done. All we, have to, we all have the same problem of sin that Lazarus had. And Jesus approaches us the same way in different ways. He calls us out of darkness. He calls us out of the grave. He calls us to respond. And we all benefit from belief because Paul says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you, before the foundations of the earth, when we were dead and our trespasses and sin, when we were heading towards the grave, when we wanted nothing to do with you, when we were your enemies, that you chose us as a plan for the fullness of time to believe in your son who would come and die in our place on the cross for our sins because he is, you are, the resurrection and the life. I think that should humble us. And Father, I, I'm honest that I don't think about that a lot of times. Of the grace that you have for us. The patience that you have for us. When we doubt, when we reject, when we try to lead out of the flesh, we thank you that you give us a resurrected life and that we can walk in the light and no longer in the darkness. And God, we thank you that you are the light of the world, that you light our paths through your word, by your grace. And so God, lead us and guide us. And God, we thank you for your great grace upon grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.